Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You Me Empathy. How are ya? My name is Known E Pants, or Noni Shorts, or Noni McGee, or Noni Baloney, or uh, what else? Nonfat Milk. Uh, what are some other things people call me? Known the Bone, uh, Idiot. You know, things like that. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, let's see. What uh, what am I doing? Oh, yes. Today, it is episode 87. Yay! With my friend, Becky Leonard. On this episode, episode 87, we talk about the joys of gratitude, the pressures for women to be superheroes, supporting partners who have mental illness, doing the things we're quote-unquote supposed to, and... Becky's experience uh, as a doula. Uh, we talk about postpartum care and connecting with other feely humans and all sorts of things. Becky is uh, a lovely human, and I'm so grateful to call her my friend and neighbor. And she's just so, she makes me feel good about myself. Uh, it's just nice. Uh, she really gives back so much to the people in her life, and I'm just so grateful. Uh, that she's on the show today uh, to uh, share her story with you, lovely humans. Uh, oh, and one time uh, Becky was reading the book by Marie Kondo called The Magical, uh, The Life Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And she was doing the Marie Kondo thing in her house and she nearly threw up. So uh, Becky tells that story in this episode and it's hilarious. Uh, okay, let's get to the episode. This is episode 87. Oh, wait. Uh, follow Yumi Empathy on Instagram. I'm all over the place today. I apologize. Follow Yumi Empathy on Instagram and Twitter at Yumi Empathy. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you get a new episode every Monday morning. Uh, what else? Patreon.com slash Yumi Empathy is where you can go to support the show on an ongoing basis for as little as 25 cents an episode. That's like... I remember when my mom would take us to... I think it was thrifty ice cream, and we'd get big, uh, big sticks, which is a which are a kind of popsicle for twenty five cents. But you know, big sticks aren't as good as Yumi Empathy. Come on! Um, all right, enjoy this episode with my dear friend Becky Leonard on doula life, gratitude, and postpartum care. Yeah. La, la, la. 
Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly, without judgment, about our neuroses, our mental illnesses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, my heart is already nourished because I'm here <laughs> with doula, horsey snuggler, canyon dweller, and the bubbliest person alive, Becky Leonard. Hello, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> I know. How's it going? Really good. How are you? Great. Great. This is exciting. Yeah. The bubbliest human you know. I like that. <laughs> so I'll Becky is here in in our little cottage of whimsy. We are neighbors. Uh, we are neighbors. friends. We are neighbors. Yeah. yeah. Emphasis on the nay. A lot of horses <laughs> around us. There's lots of horse. There'll be horse talk in this conversation, surely. Um, Happy to have you. I'm so excited yeah. to be here. Yeah. And it was such a long commute across the dirt road. Right. It was just really exciting. Yeah. This is wonderful. Yeah. One day we'll have, if uh, if uh, Norm gets his way, we'll have like a, a slack line from your house to oh. my house or some sort of swingy uh, zip line maybe. There are big plans yeah. to connect these two properties. Yeah. I mean, as if they weren't close enough. Yeah. We're going to have some type it's of bridge. Very exciting. Yes, our apparatus to get between the two even easier than the road. Indeed. Well, uh, listeners, Becky and I are here to talk about a whole slew of things, really. It's kind of up in the air. Uh, Becky uh, has a... She's worked as a doula, Mm -hmm. a lactation consultant. Uh, What else? The journey has been a long one. I think for most of my young life, I kind of did the things that you're supposed to do and kind of checked all those boxes that were laid before me by my parents in a beautiful Mm. way. Um, At some point, though, those really didn't feel in alignment with what I felt I was filling a pull and like purpose toward. So I first was an English major, which is amazing because I love to read and I love books. And I thought I wanted to teach. Sure. And then I did a long-term sub-assignment at a high school. And all the boys kept hitting on me. And I felt very uncomfortable. (laughs) And I decided that maybe this was not the path. And then I got married. And my husband was getting the first of his two master's degrees. So I had to go and make money because we had no money. Sure. We even asked for... um, I asked for his birthday for him to get cleaning supplies for his birthday, which is we had, <laughs> which is fun, which is really he was Very really fun. excited yeah, with those excited. gifts. Um, but we had no money at the time, and so I went and be- worked in the cosmetic industry and became national sales director for a, a cosmetic company. Got us in Sephora, which was huge, um, and then. There was some strife with the people at that company. And so I went and worked for an environmental health safety and sustainability consulting firm where I had my babies. Completely different, but always the kind of core um, piece of me that was that was present in all of my different things that I've done is really connection with people Mm. and really hearing what they need and then being in an industry or in a business that services that need and supports them in building their dreams and their businesses. Um, And then while I was there with two tiny little babies, 
I felt this unbelievable pull to support mothers who were kind of in the same journey that I was. You know, we were raised in my generation. I'm 38 now. At the time I was 30 that we go to school, we're educated. We can, you know, be the best mom, the Martha Stewart, as well as um, the best employee, the best wife, the best. And I think for a lot of us, that's a huge, huge challenge. Um, and to me, the inception point of that catalyst of change and rebirth for a person is the moment that they give birth. Mm. Um, and so I felt this call to support mamas in that early journey. So I went back to UCSD um, and obtained lactation credentialing. And then I was teaching breastfeeding and those moms wanted me to be at their births. And so I became a, a doula all while working full time with two small children and a husband. Um, and I built a business and then I went and worked at a birth center in Irvine, which was just such an incredible gift to get to usher moms through that and support them. And, and that's how I grew nourish. And, um, and that is, was lactation and birth and support and coaching and yeah. Yeah. And here I am. I love that. There's my story. I love the underlining or the, just like the sort of core through line of, people and like connecting people and, and helping people. And I like that anyone who meets you like can see that pretty clearly early on. You're very supportive and warm and you want the best for anyone. Thanks, known. I do. And it's I nice. Do. It's it, like it, it feels good to be around you. Good. Like, I think I, I'll tell you this. My mental health needs it. I know. Yeah. And I, and it's funny. We need people like that, not just Becky Leonard. We need people like that. Right. And I think it, it's been really special for me because I think at the end of the day, for me, we're all just people. And people will kind of look at that career history, if you want to call it, and say, wow, that was a lot of random things. But, but truly, truly, it's the exact same thing. It's just, it wears a different outfit. Right. And I think that journey has been so beautiful for me because it doesn't matter if it's environmental causes or human efficiencies or, or birth or makeup. Mm-hmm. Like all of those things were for the betterment of people and the people that I was working with and the people that I was working for. And it's definitely something that I, I mean, it's just who I am. I kind of can't help it. So I want to explore that. Where do yeah. you think, so one of the questions I always ask of guests is like, give me some seminal moments from your sort of life that speak to who you are today. And maybe you've already covered those briefly in your mm. sort of work journey, but I want to explore this this thing that's part of you, you sure. just said as part of your personality to want to help people and connect people. Where do you think that comes from? So my mom would tell you that I came out of the womb talking. So when I <laughs> when I was born... It's terrifying. It's hilarious. Hello, I am a baby. <laughs> and I have yet to see it repeated. And I wasn't... Obviously, I was there, but I don't remember um, the moment. But I was... Apparently, I came out and I was very quiet, which is unusual. Normally, babies have a few things to say about their journey. And all I said was, they said, you know, to the baby, baby. And I said, how are you? Is the first thing that I said. And then they how all stopped you? literally out of the womb. A baby? The brandest, said, newest. How are you? How are you? This is what my parents say it sounded like. What? And then all the doctors and nurses stopped and they said, we're fine. How are you? And then I started screaming as every oh other. Oh, my God. <laughs> as every other baby Are you does. an alien child? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> right? God. 
Maybe. That's that would explain it. <laughs> um, and so I think for me, it's just, I think that's always been a piece of me, literally from the minute I was born. And certainly as you grow and you age and you have experiences and challenges and hardships, those things are certainly tested. And mm -hmm. there have been many seminal moments where I've tested my integrity, my heart, my um, my kind of core person, or or essentially tried to wear a different outfit to be somebody I wasn't because I thought that that was the easier way to go or the way that was more acceptable. Sure. And through a lot of personal growth work and a lot of um, introspection and reflection, I've kind of figured out, I really don't care what anyone else thinks or says. I mean, I one time at a company was written up for being too happy. They said it wasn't on brand. <laughs> no. Was the brand angry? It was a cosmetic company. Oh. It was crazy. Like, but I think sometimes when you sit in your joy or you're being your authentic self, it challenges. It's a, it's a mirror. It's not a challenge. It's a mirror. So sometimes I think when you're in your, you, you feel in your connection, you feel in your authentic self, it mirrors to whoever you're around, maybe how they don't feel like they're in alignment with those things. Yeah. It, it bumps up against insecurity. It does. Yeah. It challenges insecurity and it makes you like, oh shit. Like I. Yeah. I'm not, like, she's clearly living her authentic self. I'm not. Right. Yeah. I don't feel that I am. And so then, you know, in, an, in a business situation, for many, that manifests as getting written up or a challenge or mm. um, reprimanded for something. And, I mean, it's all hilarious to me because it's, it was just so silly. But did I go home and have a good cry about it? Of course I did. Sure. Um, and so I think, you know, seminal moments, uh, for me, too, I think a huge piece of what my parents taught me because they love me so much. And that's another piece. I, I really grew up in an incredible household. I think I t work with and I talk with and I know so many people who have so many challenges in early childhood that just were not present for me. My parents are still married. They still love each other to pieces. They love my sister and I to pieces. Um, everything we needed or wanted was provided, which is I mean, unbelievable, yeah. not only physically, but emotionally, they sure. were always there. Um, and so I think that the thing that is present for me, because I feel the same way about my children who have those similar things, where much is given, much is required. So then you have to take that, you don't have to, but it's a pretty amazing thing in life when you can take that foundation and then you can give back in any way, or you can share in any way, or you can be present in any way with, with other people, because I don't have those things. So then I have to build off of that, off of that foundation and platform. Hmm. It's like you're seeing, you're <clears throat> witnessing this and experiencing this abundance. Yeah. Um, and you want that abundance for others? You do. Yeah. Well, are you, or you just... It's more like if I were to just sit on the couch all day and do nothing, then what was that abundance for? When I sure. see people who are so close to me and who I love so much, who have literally gone against everything that society would expect them to attempt to grow and learn and heal, right. especially my, my husband. I mean, yeah. we are very... Um, we are so connected. We are so perfect for each other. And we could not have started out in a more opposite right. situation. Um, and, and so he's always my greatest teacher too, of like, he's constantly pushing and striving and it's, and it's amazing and not just striving in that way, but like, he's just such an amazing, amazing human. Um, 
even despite, in spite of all of the things that he's experienced in his life. So then it's like, well, without those things, how do you raise an interesting person? Isn't that like Joe Rogan's thing? Mm, I don't know. He says this thing about his kids, like every interesting person he knows had a really hard childhood. And mm-hmm. he's like, my kids have everything. Their life is so boring. How do I raise interesting kids? My husband always likes quoting that. He's like, how are our kids going to be interesting? Like, I think they're going to be pretty good. But Yeah, I mean, I... I I hear that. You hear that a lot. You hear yeah. that with comedians a yes. lot. Yeah, and, and he's a comedian. Yeah, so and, and I, I don't buy it. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I don't either. I mean, obviously, like, you, like, I've, I had a rough childhood in, in, in a number of ways. And, um, but Jessica ha- didn't really, right. you know, she had a, you know, her parents are beautiful and lovely. And, yeah. and, but it, you know, it's just, it's just about the human experiences and the choices you make. And it's not, I don't know. I just feel like we put too much pressure on ourselves for, we place a lot of importance on our childhood experiences. Mm. And I think they speak to who we are, but I think we also need to, like I'm learning this for myself, m- take them find value in them but also move on from them and also create other value right right because then we can get stuck and we get stuck in this idea that like oh we have to be like this tortured soul to like create meaning it's true which is stupid so it's kind of funny that you say that there's this piece of all of that that's a little bit of survivor's guilt So, you know, when you have, um, in anything in life, you know, I have two healthy kids and I have friends who have children that have a lot of challenges. I've had Mm. clients whose babies have passed away and there's this moment of like, oh my gosh, like I, I guess that's not my journey. And you have this weird survivor's guilt. It's the same thing with having a a really blessed childhood where it's almost really interesting. And and that's not to say everything was sunshine and rainbows. Like certainly there were things that, um, that created challenges and strife and, but at the same time when that baseline is, is more on the abundance end, um, yeah, you have this weird survivor's guilt around it. And yeah, that's interesting. Did you ever struggle with anxiety or depression or anything like that? No, I mean, at points in my life, those things have definitely been present. Mm. That said, having so many people in my life that have clinical anxiety and depression, I would never have classified it in that way. Right. Um, I don't think that that's a, a piece that I've had to have that said. I think if you even haven't had the clinical side of it, everybody's experiences it. I mean, sure. we have daily anxieties and gosh, this winter has been horrible. I was yeah. talking to um, a mutual friend of ours the other night and we were saying how this season of all of the rain and all of the not being able to do any of the things you love being cold. I live in a magical tree house that has no heat. Right. And so it's freezing. Yeah. And so just being cold all the time and your motivation goes down. I've definitely felt lower than other seasons of the similar time. Totally. Um, I think the biggest piece for me that has been probably the struggle is allowing my like light to shine, essentially. Mm. Oftentimes, I have a a tendency to dim it so that it makes others feel more comfortable or I perceive that it makes others feel more comfortable, though I don't know that Mm. that's true. Um, And so I think that's my little internal struggle of, of playing small, of dimming the light, of just trying to 
kind of fly under the radar when really it's a huge gift and it's an incredible thing to shine. And, and so I think that's probably when you look at things through childhood and then through early adulthood and through work, it's just allowing that piece to come out. And now that I'm in my later thirties with two kids and I don't know, I don't care. It's, it's great. I'm like, let it shine. Let the I mean, freak this, light shine. That takes work. It does. Because we all have those limiting beliefs sure. and that limiting self-talk. Like how, what do you think, where does the feeling of like, oh, I need to dim it comes from? Like, where have you ever experienced, probably not, but like, I know that I go into certain social situations and I am very cognizant of. I mean, I have a lot of social anxiety, so that's a component of it. But I'm very cognizant of how people perceive me. And I don't want to upset anyone. And I don't want to ruffle feathers necessarily. Yeah. And But that all comes from a place of like feeling like I don't deserve any of those things. What What's going on emotionally, mentally when you're feeling like, oh, I need to, I need to dim that? Yeah, I think it's the same thing that you exactly just said. But I think there's been so many people, so many teachers in my life. And by teachers, I mean people who have challenged me to my core. Mm. By teachers, I'm not talking about this amazing mentor, although I can look at them that way, which is the positive way to look at them, but people who've broken and shattered my heart. And at the end of the day, what they taught me is it didn't matter if I tried to play into what I thought that they wanted or needed or what piece of me that I perceived would be the best one to put forward. Because at the end of the day, they were going to make a choice whether they wanted to be in this storyline with me or not. And people can just choose and walk away at any time in your life, or they can choose to stay. Yeah. And it, it was really powerful when I finally got that piece of it where it's a choice. And so basically meaning no matter what version or no matter what story I put on them or myself in order to be in conversation and relationship with them ultimately every single person gets to choose whether they stay or whether they go. So I might as well just be my authentic self and or whatever that feels like in that moment because it might change from day to day. Yeah. And then that at least is in that integrity and authenticity versus many, many years trying to be other things and do other things. And then they leave and then you're like, man, I wish I would have just been my like it it didn't matter anyway. Yeah. No matter what I give or tried, it didn't matter. Or the people that stay or the people that are in your world, um, wanting to give them the you, because that's ultimately what everybody wants. That's the right? great gift. Yeah. yeah because we are so unique, right? We are. We truly are. I mean, it's such it's played it's played over. It's like it's such a tired phrasing, yeah. but it's true. Like yeah. we all bring something yep. unique to yeah. relationships and to connecting with others. I was listening to this podcast. Oprah did this masterclass podcast, but I, oh, I this, know Oprah. Oh, do, have you heard of her? We're buddies. She's amazing. Um, but I was listening to the other day, and I was in the car, and I just kept going like, "Yes, yes!" And people will feel this way how they do. But having been at so many births, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of births, where there's that moment where this. This baby is born, of course, and it is the baby's story, but it's also the family story. And it's a story of everybody who's there in that moment that it happens. And she was talking about her life and how she came to be through a lot of strife in childhood. She wasn't wanted. Um, her story is amazing. And she's just saying how it is an absolute miracle that you are here. And I can look at people in the world or in my life and I'm like, really? They're a miracle? But the truth is they 
every single person is and coming from that perspective and having seen that moment. And um, I do a lot of natural birth. I do a lot of births at home, in birth centers, Mm -hmm. in hospitals. And a lot of the the families, the mothers would really love to have a natural birth, meaning no epidural or medication that numbs the experience. Right. And one of my um, midwife friends, her mom said the most amazing thing in her labor, which was, and I'm sure it's been said other ways, but when she said it, it was profound to me. Um, She said, you really meet your true essence in that moment of giving birth because every, your brain has to stop. Hmm. Basically, it's all hormones, but adrenaline cannot happen in labor. If it happens, it will slow down the oxytocin, which is the labor hormone, and it will make labor stop. Hmm. And oxytocin is the love hormone, right? And that's the one that makes your uterus contract and bring the baby here. Gotcha. So you are completely, although it's the most intense experience of your life, in complete and total love. That's all that there is. If you're thinking and you're in your ego and you're in your brain, you will not birth your baby. Your mm. baby will will not come out because yeah. your body won't let it. It feels fear. It's a it's a mammalian response to labor and fear and it's really interesting. So when, you know, there's all those cute little memes and things and and motivational things that say like fear and love can't exist in the same space. Like sure. at the moment babies are born, if they're born naturally, it truly can't exist in the same moment. Mm. Like it has to just be love, which is really, really cool. It is really cool. And what a beautiful lesson yeah. like that is. Because we are so driven by fear at times and there's so much insecurity and self-esteem and and limiting beliefs that are wrapped up in that. Um, But as you know, as you've learned through all this experience and and being a doula and working with mothers and experiencing the childbirth process, like it is really about love. It really is. That's what life's about. I know. I know. And it's so funny because it's become, I think, sometimes a trite thing to say, but but really when you break down just the human experience, it's just that. And postpartum, when I go in to support moms with their the feeding of their baby's journey, I would say about 5% of it is technical and mm. physical and about 95% is coaching and loving on this new rebirth of this this mama and this dad or partner. Yeah, You know, they're all going through this unbelievable transformation. Um, And I always like to say, too, this is super interesting. So when we're little, when we're like under three, whatever our, whatever trigger we have, our response is completely and totally authentic, right? So if you feel sad, oh, you cry about it. Mm -hmm. If you're mad, ooh, doggy, you can yell and scream and shout. (laughs) If you're happy, that guttural laughter of a toddler is the most delicious thing you could ever hear. Sure. And we don't remember it. We don't remember our lives from age zero to three, essentially. Most people don't. Right. And yet then, right, you were just saying, like, your ego comes in, your brain comes in, and you start getting fears about things. I had an amazing mentor. I have an amazing mentor. Her name's Christine Hassler. She's an author. She's amazing. And she was just like, you know, if you can emulate a little more of what your daughter does, and when she feels something, the way she self-expresses, it would be incredible for moving your emotions and your energy. And yet we don't consciously remember that time when we were really our authentic selves right zero to three yeah we don't really remember that as adults so it must have been gnarly it must have been real intense getting teeth growing that rapidly all of those reasons as to why we're given amnesia 
But we've also lost a piece, I think, that could be pretty amazing if we could re-harness that, right? And I mean, I'm sure people don't want to see 30-year-olds having temper tantrums everywhere. But that said, if you can find a way to harness it and release it in that way, we'd probably feel a lot a lot better, right? Well, it's, it's really shedding all the bullshit. There's yeah. so much artifice in life <laughs> and like I know. cultural things and societal things. And just so much of it means yeah. nothing. Right. It means nothing. Zero things. Like life is about connecting right. with one another. Like yeah. I always say like we should be more like dogs, and, right? But dogs are like kids under three. They're like kids under three. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and uh Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's really kind of what this show is about, is stripping down all that meaningless stuff and getting to the core of of what humans are meant to be, which I is know. about love and connecting with one mm-hmm. another, being vulnerable. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's why I love the podcast so much, because I think... And that's why I just said that. So yeah. you'd, uh, can, tell you know, you. <laughs> you'd tell me how great the podcast is. Now how go much on. <laughs> I love it. Um, no, but really, I think I have a unique position, as I'm sure I'm not a therapist, but as I'm sure many, many therapists feel where they get to see behind the veil, like supporting any in every area. I, people have this amazing ability to allow me to see normally into their into their deeper space, into their deeper hearts. Like, right. I'm often shown people's authentic self and it is an unbelievable gift, right? And I think that's why I love this show so much because behind that, there's not always the elevator speech, the elevator pitch they want to give you. How are you? Oh, I'm great. The weather's been crazy. You know, those silly things. I love, um, I think, you know, raising my kids, having a husband that struggles with mental illness, like it's just such an incredible gift because otherwise who cares about the rest of it, right? Those are just stories we're writing about whatever's happening in that day. Um, But it is a pretty amazing gift to give and to to be talking about it more and to have a a space where people can talk about anything. Um, I just love it. It, That's where healing comes. Totally. Do you, have you experienced uh, in, in the sort of postpartum life of any depression, any anxiety with clients? Oh my goodness gracious, yes. And I've what what has that committed. been like? It's hor it's it's so hard. You know, everyone says, Oh my gosh, your job must be so amazing. You get to help babies be born and help them eat. And um I always like to say yes until it isn't, until it's legitimately the hardest um space that you can be in with somebody. I've had clients who have I most women if not all, I have yet to meet one who has not had some type of baby blues postpartum. That is just a part of it. From just a hormonal, physical perspective, it's intense. And so then, is that why it happens? Is just like a hormonal yes. overlord, uh, overlord, overload? <laughs> yeah, I will call it the overlord. <laughs> overlord. I like that visual. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we. that is just a part of what it is. Your hormones yeah. are fluctuating so fast. You're living on extreme sleep deprivation. And I think there are many cultures around the world that really support women postpartum. Ours is not. The American culture has leaves a lot to be desired. Um, you know, we're expected to kind of get up and get going. Crush life. Yeah, get it. Going on my five Pull up my walk. boots, bootstraps, crush, crush corporations, uh, make money. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's I so was, unhealthy. After Charlie was born, I went back to work when she was six weeks old. And I traveled when she was eight weeks old to Northern California for a conference pumping breast milk sitting on a toilet in a 
room and then I had to get ice from the bartender. And then my sister who happened to live close by came and picked up the milk because I had nowhere to put it. So it's like what we do. I mean, I was still right. Like that's shitty. Oh, it's insane. It's, it's absolutely insane. And my story is not unique. It is what happens to every woman and, or most women, if they can't, if they're in a position where they need to work or they feel like they have to work, um, in order to keep their lives going, this is, that's what happens. And so, you know, mine, you know, I felt down. I felt, I really felt, um, cracked open in a lot of ways that really was, were incredible for the future. But to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I've had mamas who literally they've, their husbands have had to have them committed because they, cannot manage the hormones in combination with the sleep deprivation in combination um, with the psychosis that can go along with it. And when it gets extreme, mm-hmm. when it gets extreme, and sometimes it happens in pregnancy too, mm-hmm. um, where those hormones are just a little too much. So it's right. just really, whew, it's fascinating. It's wild. Yeah, it is. I lost my train of thought. I remember where I one of the things I will, while you're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's this really cool thing. I think that it's helpful for everybody, not just um, mothers, since I know this podcast is not just listened to by pregnant women. Shocking, is that? It's uh, although the majority of my listeners or the audience is is women. I would think so. Yeah, are women. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, but when you're pregnant, um, people, you know, you feel stress, you feel anxiety. There's this really interesting area of psychology called prenatal parenting, mm. and it used to be something that people just kind of thought, like, well, if the mother feels stress, then the baby will feel stress. Um. But I can't remember the name of the study, but they finally quantified it where they studied the babies that were in utero in New York during 9-11. Oh, wow. I know. And then they followed them for a decade and they finished the report. And I don't know if they're still following them, but in 2011, and then they you know, took a couple of years to analyze everything. But essentially, the instances of emotional, behavioral, physical disorders in those children were statistically way more significant than the rest of the country. Wild. So it's really interesting because when you feel stress, when you feel fear, you're basically your body sends peptides to the baby that says, Oh, we're scared. We're fearful. We're... Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that we coach women prenatally is to put their hand on their belly, take those slow, slow, deep breaths. We are, of course that was honor the event that happened, honor the thing that, that was triggering um, one hand on heart, one hand on belly, take those big, deep breaths and make the baby feel safe. And essentially it replaces those peptides and the baby is bathed in more love and they feel less fear. Mm. And that could wow. potentially have a better effect on their psyche later in life. But I think that the analogy is so beautiful just for people because yeah. that is how we, if we parented ourselves the way that I think effective parents parent their children, <laughs> a lot of this would go away, right? right. If every time you had that trigger, you had one hand on your belly and one hand on your heart and you replaced it with affirmation and love. If every time that happened, I mean, my goodness, right? Mm. Like the space would be so much more neutral, more loving than yeah. more of that anxiety and fear. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. It's interesting. What? So you mentioned the, I want to explore a little bit the pressure of women to be all of the things. Right. Like, how, in your work, like, w- I mean, obviously you experience it yourself. Like, what, how do we combat that? Like, our, I know it's like a huge sort of cultural thing, right? Yeah. And it's, a, and it's, it's, it's just like, 
uh, built on by this sort of, you know, bootstraps American culture thing that That's we exactly need to right. fight against. But like, how do we how do we combat it at the individual level? I mean, so yeah. That's a really, really good question because I think those societal things are so deep in us. And especially, I don't know what the, I mean, I've had a lot of millennial um, birthing. And so we'll kind of see what this next generation comes up with because I think they're kind of fighting against a lot of that societal pressure and norm that has kind of been Americana up until this stage. So we'll kind of see what that changes. But um, I think individually speaking, that's why doulas or or birth coaches or therapists are so powerful when you're in any major transition in life. And I wish that more women reached out. I mean, I, I my I, first big moment of holy Magoli, I I thought it was my job, but where I really was like, I need to do some introspection uh, was when Charlie was six months old. That mm. I was like, you know, going back so soon after, I was like, this cannot be the rest of my life. Like, I thought it was my job, you yeah. know, but ultimately it was some some core beliefs that I was playing into that weren't serving my my greater good. Um, so I think if you can, if we as humans can support women you know, everyone wants to buy the baby, all the cute things and focus on the baby. But my favorite moments of postpartum visits and it's just being with the mom. Everyone says, you must love babies. They're fine. <laughs> they're just, I mean, they're, they're babies. Yeah. Of course you love them. Who doesn't love a baby? Who doesn't love a baby? Unless they're ugly. Unless in some are, let's be honest, but no, just kidding. They're cute in their own way. Um, but, but really it's the mother who's in that moment of like, whole and, and the dad or the partner, you know, this is, or for mothers who don't have partners who've chosen to have babies, um, alone. It's really cool because I've been able to work with families of every single combination of how this baby got here, mm. which is just amazing. And at the end of the day, it's all the exact same thing, which mm-hmm. is also super cool. Every yeah. culture, um, uh, I've had, um, LGBT families. I've had, I mean, everybody, everybody. Yeah. It's the coolest thing. Yeah. Um, and so all of it's the same. But I think if we could encourage women to get that support, either by people they know and love or hiring that support, I mean, that is for somebody to just hold their hand and love them. And it's it can't just be the partner. Right. That Or the family. They are not qualified to do it in that way because they're personally invested in the outcome. And they might come in with personal judgments or stories about how the person used to do this in their life or used mm. to do that. or So it or, needs to be a doula or a therapist, I think so. life coach, someone like that, I think third so. party. A third party or, yeah, that really can support them in that emotional shift and change and process. Mm. and Or maybe it's a podcast that they listen to. Maybe it's just us changing that this is hard and challenging. Maybe it's yeah. that simple that like, yes, this doesn't need to, you don't need to be Instagram perfect on your first day postpartum. You don't need to have a hair and makeup team at your delivery unless that's what you want. Unless that's what makes you feel empowered, right? right like, right. I don't, I think you should do it however you want to do it, but supporting that, that piece. And then I think, you know, culturally, that's a, a whole different ball game. But if we, it's this amazing thing came to me years ago. I thought, it was like this huge download. And it was like, if we could change the way women feel when they give birth, if they just feel so loved and cherished and empowered and surrounded with um, with everything that they need in that moment, and that's what that baby and mother were birthed into, we would change the world. 
if mm. that moment could change, every that would just be a ripple that we couldn't hold back, right? And is that space only happening now with more of the stuff that you're doing, like with doulas and stuff? Like, I don't know. Is it not happening in hospitals? No, or gosh. Does it- well, it's not just the hospitals. And I and I love hospitals. I love nurses. I think they all go into that field to love and to support. I think not to get too far down the rabbit hole, there's some amazing documentaries about this, but a lot of it just comes that um, everything in our world has a process and becomes very um, dehumanizing. So it's very much like, oh, great, you're pregnant. Here's the things you read. Here's the things you do. But there's not really checking in on that individual person's journey. Yeah. I like the word dehumanizing because it does, like from what I've experienced, obviously I'm not a woman, but I've been there for births. Yeah. And... um, it feels very, you got to check these boxes because there's this sort of system that's right. been in place for right. millennia. Right. And this is how we do it because also there's huge liability. That's a and huge that's pee. Oh my hanging gosh. over it all. Yep. And that, I think, over time erodes the caretakers, the care providers' um, joy. Right. And their passion because they're... You know, it's almost like, not to tie this back to the beginning of the podcast, but when I was written up for being too happy, you know, I think sometimes nurses are judged for giving, you know, for not being as efficient as they could Mm. or spending too much time. Or like I run into this all the time in the hospital where the nurses will literally get in trouble from the OB if they call too early or too late. So they're under this incredible pressure as that baby is being born. And they're very, very anxious because they're trying to make the call of when to call the physician to come in. Mm. Because if they get there too soon, they're mad because they don't want to be there that long. And if they get there too late, they're mad because it was like, you didn't call me in time. So there's this, there, you know, again, not to get, but it it's really challenging. And then that's the way the woman feels when the baby is being born, right? Is this anxiety and adrenaline from, from the team around her. Um, so I think having people, it could be a friend or it could be a family member, but just to hold that space for her in that moment, I think that's what anybody who's called toward birth work, that's the calling that we feel is that wanting to just hold that space for that woman to feel whatever she is in that moment and that baby to have a gentle entrance without a lot of that anxiety. And that can be accomplished in the hospital too. It doesn't just have to be outside of the hospital. I've been in empowered cesarean births where the mama wanted a scheduled cesarean. That's how she felt her baby should be born. And I think that's beautiful. And I think that's wonderful. And she had me there to help hold that mental emotional space for her as she was welcoming her baby. So So when you're in that situation and you're in a hospital, Mm -hmm. are you trying to kind of keep at bay maybe the the forces of pressure and the the stress that maybe come from the scheduled I stuff. I think that's what a lot of doulas and a lot of birth workers look at it as I look at it more like shining my light on everybody that comes in. So mm. I have this uh, overwhelming gratitude for every single person. Like when was the last time that intake person was thanked for their job? Hmm. When was the last time the person from nutrition coming in, like given a hug and saying like, you're a huge part of this. Like, thank you for being here. Hmm. They never are. There's no gratitude. There's so much entitlement. And so for me, I come in and- This is your job. You're supposed to do this. Yes. Yes. And while that might be true, you can't do it with a little bit of good tidings and joy. and, And so it's basically like, I mean, in a weird way, that's my primary job. And then it's incredible the questions I get asked. Oh, did she have any preferences? 
Is there anything else I can get you? How, how, you know, how can I support you? Um, there's a hospital nearby here in Southern California that has beautiful views of the ocean. And then some views don't, some of the rooms don't, I can't tell you how many times I've been moved from a non-view room to a view room just because the nurse thought it was me that was there. Nice. Because that's what people are craving is that connection. And then all of a sudden when they're, yes, it is about making sure their birth plan is being um, followed and, and of course their wishes being, but but in terms of keeping it at bay, to me, that feels like a very like negative energy, like, ooh, and that's how a lot come in and they get a really bad name for the profession because right. they come in kind of fighting. Whereas I come in with overwhelming love and gratitude. I mean, if I see an OB outside, I will like cat call, like, hi, not cat call, but I'll like, who, like, hey, and they just look so stunned. And I give them a huge hug. And I just, I think for me, that's what's made it, um, so effective and magical. It's just me being me in that space. And then my families get the ultimate best care. And that's what I try Mm. to teach other new doulas. Like, of course, I know you're trying to like beat the system, but what if we like loved the system and figured out ways through it and have, you know, kind of appeal to the core of why they started that job in the first place. Mm. Um, I know that's a lot to accomplish when a person's having a baby, but to me, it's just a huge piece of it. Um, It's pretty cool. And that's why you know, OBs and hospitals will recommend certain doulas and not others because of that energy. I think that's such a amazing, beautiful lesson for all of us in that as humans, we go into situations where we come with, I, I need to fight, or we come with this idea that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to be met with resistance, yep. or we do this all the time. I know. And what a beautiful thing that you can go and say, I'm going to be light. Yes. I'm going to be grateful for this experience. Yes. I am going to show everyone around me that they deserve love yes. and that they deserve to be here. Yes. And they're valued for so their place. Valued. Like, yes. Th- that, that core mm-hmm. seems like a core part of you. It is. And like, so when you were saying, when I was saying how, like service of people has kind of led me through each job. That's how I came to the engineers at JPL when I was working for the environmental company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same energy. I, I once had this incredible experience. Um, my daughter, I got a brand new iPhone and we all know how expensive those are. <laughs> and she dropped it and it shattered. The whole thing shattered. And I had this moment where I just, we were at her school and I screamed because hello, yeah, it broke. Sure. And then she started crying and I felt horrible. And I was like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. It's fine. And I had a case on it. It just, the case didn't work. The way it fell was just the perfect spot. So as I was walking into the Apple store and I did not have an appointment, I realized I had this moment where I was going through all those things in your head that we all do. Why would they make a product that this is easy to shatter? Why would it cost so much when it's not, doesn't come with a case that can protect it from doing its job, right? All these frustrations and anger that I had. Yeah. And then I had this moment as I was walking into the mall and I said, the person who's going to help me did not design this. It is not their job. They didn't do any of the things. They're just simply going to be here to help me fix this problem. Mm. And worst case scenario, it's going to cost me a couple hundred dollars to replace the screen. And there you go. So I'm just going to be super grateful and sit in love. And I did. And I, of course, was sitting next to this old, old man. And he was having the same problem I was. And he was throwing this fit. And he was angry. And he was saying (laughs) all the things I had thought as well. 
But I was just sitting here with a giant smile on my face and literally looking at each person and sending them love. And this, and this man came up and he, and I told him what happened. And I was just like, thank you for fixing it. I so appreciate you, you know, just let me know how much it is. And so he's like, okay, it's, it's $299, which was more than I thought. And I was like, okay, great. Awesome. Thank you so much. So then he goes in the back and he comes back and he goes, I was able to get it for you for 99. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Like, thank you so much. Like, I cannot even tell you that's such a gift. Like, wow. I don't even know what to say. Thank you. So he leaves and he comes back a little while later and he passes a phone across the table and he goes, there will be no charge. What? Wow. I legitimately feel like I paid for my phone with gratitude. And it wasn't like I just went in like, I'm going to play a gratitude game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, it's just, it was a choice in that moment to Mm. either go in anger and frustration and fear or to go, it was going to have the same outcome no matter. And so then at least my experience of it would be lovely versus my experience of it being a thing that would derail my whole day and make me have a terrible day along with the person who's literally their job is just to try to help me. Yeah. So it's moments like that. Right. Again, you can apply it to birth. You can apply it to work, but that's, that's just kind of the core of how I look at scenarios. And that is not to say I'm perfect. No, I am not. You have seen me have my moments of like, <laughs> okay, I can't, you know, but in those moments, it, that's kind of the thing that I try to keep in mind and strive for. It's that energy. That's, I mean, I, I think I have a lot to learn from you about gratitude. Like, I, I can be a grateful person, and I, I, I try to do that. Are there – do you have any tips on getting to – I mean, not just for me, but for the listeners, because I do think, like, and studies have been done on gratitude and how sure. powerful it yeah. is. And it's really about, like – shifting frameworks, right? It is legitimately just that. So another one of my mentors, her name's Heather Noel, and she has this thing called the Giving Game Foundation. And she talks all about basically like you, it's where everything in life is a choice and you can choose to be happy or you can choose to be angry. And I've gone through her giving game and it really tested me. There's moments where I'm like, no, it's not a choice. Like that happened to me. And she's kind of like, yes, but a part of you chose it so that you could learn from whatever the experience was. Mm. So when I mentioned earlier, people that have been a real struggle in my life, but that I, when I'm able to frame it in such a way, they end up being incredible teachers because I wouldn't have learned what I needed to learn at that moment had they not been there to have that scene with me, Mm. to have that storyline with me. Um, So I have a little placard on my car. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. It's hanging from my rearview mirror and it just says, I think I'll just be happy today. Mm. So that's one of my reminders every day of it is a choice to either come and, and my goodness, there are things external that happen where it, it, it does not feel like a choice in that moment. And our lives definitely have those, those spaces. But in terms of tips, that's what I try to do is remember it every day. And I think working with new families and seeing the through points too, just like the human experience and human nature, you really do start to see that it is in those moments just a choice. And you can either, and you'll see it in everybody. He's like, oh, they're really choosing to to play out that scene. And maybe they need it in that moment. Maybe it's serving something for them yeah. in a different way. And I honor that experience too. But because people, have, a lot of people, many, many people at this point have let me in kind of past that ego side and into the heart side. I think at the end of the day, they just want that. So if you have mm. little tricks or things that can remind you every day, or honestly known too, like for me, listening to podcasts is huge. Because I think 
like listening to your podcast, listening to the other ones that I choose to listen to. I love listening to human stories. I've always been yeah. interested in autobiography Same. and but like I just I find it yeah. like it's so interesting to me. Well, it's per- it's um it allows you to see how others live and yeah. that can be a, such a humbling it does. Uh, experience it and 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 allows you to obviously see that you're not yeah. alone possibly or see that there's a better way to do it or whatever. Yeah. Or just a way that feels good for you in that moment. You know, yeah. I think it's, it's not one recipe for each person for one day. That's going to come out with the perfect stew. Of course. Um, it's yeah. whatever it is for you in that moment. And, and I think honoring that too, you know, in, in our modern society with, with all the social medias and the Pinterest. And I don't even do that because it made me really feel bad about myself because I'm not a Pinterest mom, but there's those things where it's like, it seems like it needs to be perfect or be done in a certain way. And, and, and that, while that might be great for one person, it's really not in alignment with someone else's way of doing it. Yeah. So kind of going inward and seeing how it feels to you in that moment and, and bringing out whatever that light is, it might not be sitting there telling somebody, thank you, thank you over and over again for supporting them at the Apple store. It might be something really simple as writing a card or saying, um, you know, I love the idea where, where you just sit and you think about the people in your life that are bringing you challenges and you just send them love. You literally just send them, you literally picture their face and you bathe them and bathe them and bathe them in love until it feels neutral. Mm. So you don't feel that trigger as much. Mm. And then you let them release. You might have to do it a hundred times before it really feels like you're going to release it. But for me, that's been really, really powerful where that person in whatever struggle they're having, and therefore we're having a struggle together, ultimately they just want love as well. And they deserve love as well. It's really hard to think about that when you think of people that um, are triggering, but that's been really, really helpful to me in in shedding that piece of um, judgment and anger. Yeah. A couple of things, and, and this is just a quick disclaimer, obviously, when we're talking about clinical, you know, mental illness, choices are oh, trickier, you know, gracious. I mean, and I know you didn't mean like, oh, just choose to be happy, gracious, clinically no. depressed boy. Yes. You know, of course. The other thing that you said, and it, it was um, an important phrasing, is that we as humans think about the world, ha- things happening to us, yeah. right? And one thing that, and I wonder if you can relate to this, one thing that has helped me in my mental health journey and my perspective of just being a more joyful, kinder, compassionate person is to remind myself that nothing is happening to us because there is honestly very little we can control, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We can control the little actions that we take as humans. Right. But other than that, it's all up in the air. A hundred percent. Well, and I think when you put it in a perspective of things happening to us, we immediately go into a victim space. Defense mode. And and, that is... Put up our walls. Yeah. And then we're not going to... It is... I don't know if it's possible, but it feels impossible to grow from that space. It's a very reactive space versus proactive space. And right. and to speak on what you said about the clinical anxiety and depression and mental illness... I, I say it because those are the things that work for me. Yes. That said, I have many, many, many family members, including my husband that struggles with it. And, um, and 
and it, I think what's cool about it is that what works for me just basically shines a light for him and encourages him to do what works for him. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of like things just being a choice. In fact, we had a really funny family story with that where my mom, who's an internal optimist, told someone to point their feet in the direction of happiness when they were having a very big mental health crisis. Yeah. So we always laugh because we're like, oh, if you just, you mean her feet were fa- facing north and she just needed to be west? Oh my gosh, was it that easy? Um, so certainly no, and definitely not to put it in that in that framework. That said, I think a huge piece of it can be figuring out what that is for you and what those choices are for you in that day-to-day space and time yeah. and making those. And whether that's reaching out for more therapy, reaching out for more help, listening to podcasts, being around people that support you and will listen to you and don't play down what you're feeling and what you're going through, really doulaing you. I laugh. I'm like, you can doula anybody through life. It doesn't just have to be for birth. Yeah. Um, it's just really having those people in your life that are just going to love you for the space that you're in and encourage you from that space. Um, so anyway. Just- yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're probably a great partner to I mean I mean I know you're a great partner to Norm Thanks, but Noah. Norm uh struggling with mental mm-hmm. illness you know like I think I want to talk a little bit about actually being partners to or married to people you know in relationships with people with depression with anxiety with mental illness I think cuz not like I know that like for me I have clinical depression and anxiety um Jessica doesn't. Right. Right. And and we've learned to operate in that space. And she's learned to, and it hasn't always been easy. Sure. No. You know, uh, and she's learned to like, oh, you know, say certain things or support me in ways that I really need to, and see me, right? Mm. What, what, have, what has that been like for you? And have there been sort of, can you shed some light on maybe yeah. some stumbling bro- blocks yeah. along the way? And tell me if I go on too long. This has been such a profound journey for oh, me. Oh, no, I, I want to hear it. I think um, it's really important. It's it's huge. And I think um, we've been married. It'll be 15 years in April. And we, um, for many, many, many years, I think without me being aware, I was trying to just make it better, like kind of use all of the things that I've said work for me onto him. Right. And I created this weird codependency where anytime he would start to express or feel feelings, it's almost like I would do a little Irish jig dance in front of him to be like, no, 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 you're fine. Let's do this. Great. Do you need more time? Do you need more space? Do you need a new creative outlet? Do you want to get another degree? How can I support you here? Go get a massage, go do this. And I was constantly, I think I thought at the time being very supportive and trying to help him feel better until I hit this point about three years ago where I just couldn't do it anymore. I hit a point of exhaustion and through support of mentors, I realized my piece in it, that I was actually holding him back from healing and hurting myself in the process. And I don't think that Norm would be upset with me sharing this because he's been, he's written about his journey as well, but he got, he had a really intense family situation and it plummeted him into a very, very deep depression. And I think I was trying to make everything okay for our kids and our family and for him. Yeah. And there was this moment where I was doing our daughter's hair in the bathroom and she looked at me in the mirror and I was looking at her and she said, mommy, are you afraid of daddy? And it brought me to my knees. Wow. I was like, no matter what kind of what we were talking about earlier, like no matter what I was trying to do to, to shield myself away from it, Mm. they were seeing it too. Yeah. And it was 
in that moment that I realized I have, uh, this is not working. (laughs) I need a different plan. And shortly after we, we went to dinner and we were sitting at a restaurant with the kids and, um, Norm says it's the most loving thing anyone's ever said to him, which is the most amazing thing because in the moment it just seemed like we were just talking and he asked me a question and I said, you're, oh, you're really not okay. And then he started crying and basically didn't stop crying for about four months, like every, everything. So for me, I, and we sat down and we had this big conversation and at the time we were living in a house with four bedrooms. So the kids had a bedroom, I had a bedroom and there was a spare bedroom and and I just said to him, I love you enough to let you go. Like, I don't want to let you go. I love you more than life itself, but yeah. this is above my pay grade. I don't know how to do this. And I don't think I, I take full responsibility for, I think, holding you back from healing all these years, mm. trying to just bathe it in light and positivity, I think stifled that for him for a while. And um, and I said, if you're in a horrible mood, you can go sleep in the in the other bedroom, you know, like I'm going to hold into my integrity and my love and my space. And I'm going to allow you to have your experience that I've yeah. been holding you back from, which again, like somebody who loves somebody so much, I was watching, we watched a couple of documentaries, which were really not documentaries. They were comedy shows. It was so helpful to me. One was three mics. Mm, the Neil and, Brennan one. Yes. Yeah. And then the other one was, um, oh my gosh, it was so funny. I can't remember the name of it. Um, anyway, he, I, I just cried and cried because Norm's like, that's the most accurate description I've heard of how I feel right Mm. now. And they were so helpful to me to hear other people talking about mental health because in my, my family, we had people that had it, but it was always kind of just like, oh yeah, they do. And that's their, their issue or here's how it's affected people. So you don't want to be like that because you don't want to affect people in a bad way because you Mm. need to be positive and happy and loving. Sure. So that was really powerful for me. Um, yeah, that's and then and then the most amazing thing is when I changed the way I felt about it and looked at it. At the same time, or right after each other, Norm went and found a therapist on his own. He'd gone to a therapist a few years before when I basically just begged him to go, and it was this guy, and he. It told Norm, like, okay, here's the things I want you to ask him. Like, and the guy said to Norm, You're not, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just a dude. And then tried to sell him his book. Oh, Jesus. So I feel like that was also a moment that we could have had some healing maybe years before, but whatever. But he found this amazing therapist named Jackie who has been unbelievably transformative for his life and for our life. And he finally put diagnoses behind feelings. And therefore, when you can name it, you can do something about it. So validating. So huge and validating for me. And there were just so many days I would cry with just joy of like, oh my gosh, like we can, there's some, this is a thing and we can, we can, he can, he, he was feeling better and better. Um, So anyway, that was for me, that was just, has been a huge, profound journey and also a teacher of letting go and letting people have their own experiences. Even when you love them so much, you want to try to help, quote unquote, sometimes that help is actually stifling. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. That's really, I think it's a really beautiful lesson in the, the struggle or the, the, it's hard to accept that the people we love most in the world struggle. Like we want, we'll do anything. We'll do anything it takes. Like I've been there with my parents and, and, and people and like, 
not even like clearly out of my mind, like trying to like save a marriage. Why did I, why did I try to do that? Right. Right. But I, you know, I, I was so lost emotionally and, 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 but allowing them to just do whatever they needed. Like I've, I've had many moments like that in my life, but like we, it, um, I think it's the hope for the day company. They have like a, one of their taglines is it's okay to not be okay. Yes. And I think that's so important because there is such a pressure to be okay right. in life. And I think what a beautiful place that you've come with Norm. And oh I'm so gosh. grateful to hear that he's found therapy and found found help in that. Because I know the feeling yeah. of depression. It's, it's, it's all consuming. Yes. And there's no light. Right. And I think, you know, for him, it must have been really challenging to have chosen a partner that hits him with a lot of that positivity Mm. and light. And I think, you know, he is such an amazing supporter of me and obviously loves my personality and loves who I am. But I'm sure that wasn't helpful in those moments to to hit him with that piece, right? Like he needed the space in order to go into that and feel it and uncover it. Hence why when... The therapist said something so cool to him. He's like, why can't I stop crying? And she said, what you've accomplished in your life has been from your head. This whole, everything you've done has been from your head. And your heart can't handle it anymore. Mm, So you're probably crying the tears you've been trying to cry from the time you were really little. Which, of course, then that just made him cry more. Of course, yeah. (laughs) Which is so beautiful. So it's been an incredible journey for both of us. And I think you're right. As a, as a mom, I look at our kids and you don't want them to feel certain things. And then there's this, you know, I think that's your, your natural instinct is to save them from feeling certain things that might be um, uncomfortable for them. But now we don't come to our kids in that space or way. You know, for me, it's about holding space for them when they're feeling those big emotions, letting them talk through those, ask the bigger questions. And And it's okay to not, like you said, to not be okay from the time you're little to the time you're older. And if you allow that, then you can move through it. Otherwise, it's like a, putting up a dam. Yeah. And then it just stops that flow. Well, it goes back to what you're talking about. We need to allow people to be their authentic selves. Yeah. And authenticity, authenticity is in the darks and the brights, right. right? It's all of it. Right. You know, and they're all valid. Right. And they all contribute to our identities so much so to yeah. who we are and again all of that is a growing changing thing oh, i yeah. think i don't know if you were told this when you were young but like you know oh he changed oh she changed it's like we're all changing all, all the, time. the time all the time all the time people ask me like why are you and norm still married like how did you do it and i'm like uh you're gonna change and you're either gonna allow the person to change and change together or you're gonna change apart but you're gonna change like just be open to them exploring their life on this pale blue dot. Like you said, yeah. it's like we we get one big turn around this. Like you might as well get to have fun with it and explore and experience it. I mean. If we're not changing, we're not yeah. growing. It's horrifying. Yeah. Yes, I know. You know, Ew. we're just. Ew. Yeah. We don't want that. I'm not a fan. So recently, I'm going to do a big shift here. Okay. <laughs> recently. Um, and you don't have to talk about this, but it made me giggle in a way. Um, 
you were talking about uh, at one point in your life doing a Marie Kondo tidying up <laughs> on your stuff, mm. and you had this moment oh. where you were basically brought to throw up oh, or I almost puked. you puked. You actually puked. Yes. As a What's disclaimer, going on there? Okay, everyone watching the Marie Kondo Netflix show, that's amazing. More power to you. It's like watching a short film and not reading the novel. Right. Like adapt, adapted from an... Adapt. The magical art of tidying up. Yes. Right. Yeah. So years ago, one of my mentors said, I was talking about stuff in my space. And she's like, you know, I did this a few years ago or this couple years ago, and it was pretty magical. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to clean out my closet today. And she goes, no you need to read the book and actually do the process because the way Marie Kondo has designed it, and I encourage everybody to do it, it is amazing. But you systematically go through your belongings and as you hold something, you feel whether it brings you joy or rather it brings you neutrality or whether it frustrates you and anything other than joy, you let it live onto its next life. And she's so funny because she gives like human emotions to things. Yeah. So like there's a way to fold your socks so that the socks don't feel worn out and exhausted so that mm. they're standing up and ready to do their job for you when they're called upon. <laughs> and then she talks about like, you know, yeah, your mom gave you that purse, but you never really liked it and you wouldn't have purchased it for yourself, but you're holding on to it out of guilt. Would your mom want to know that you feel guilty? That's the only reason you're keeping something is because you feel bad about it. Absolutely not. That's not the intention of a gift. And if you give it away, it lends a gift to everybody else. So my husband and I blocked out four days to do it, which it takes at least that long. And it starts with your clothing and there's this whole system. Well, at the end is when you get to the things that are going to be the most emotionally triggering. But by that point, you're exhausted. You've already gone through so much stuff. You're really good. You know, before you even look at something, you don't have to hold it and ask yourself the question, you know, before you even look at it. Yeah. But when I got to my jewelry, that's when I had a complete meltdown. And I think (laughs) I literally was looking at it and I started crying and then I was like, I'm going to be sick. And I went to the bathroom and I threw up. I was so brought to my knees, exhausted and disgusted by myself. And because it really, I guess maybe in a way of birth too, but it makes you confront all of the pieces of you that are holding on to stuff and things that you don't think, I'm not a hoarder. I don't have that issue whatsoever. But that said, we all have a tendency toward that and we assign emotions to things um, that are, are, and so it makes you confront whatever it is and however you assign those emotions to it. Yeah. And so when people say like, oh, look at I Marie kondo my drawers, I'm like, you don't even know Marie Kondo. It's a really hard process. <laughs> um, and it's a very cathartic one, but man, be ready. If you actually do it, you might, you may not have that response, but you might have that response. I, I mean, it's so fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. It's, it's really fascinating because I, I've been thinking about it more, and and Jessica had read not read the book, but Jessica had started doing some of this stuff a couple of years ago, and we we were starting to think about it, and we got rid of a bunch of stuff. And I do think, I mean, maybe this is the like I do have like a hippie part of me. I do have like a sort of you know tree hugger part of me. Like I do think like there's a connection point between what we're talking about in terms of authenticity and human connection and this stuff. A hundred percent. Right? Yes. Because you have to think our stuff is the external manifestation of our internal stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It is a symbol 
as to why we're holding on to that and not that. Yeah. Why we're choosing to put that up and not that. And and most of us go to home to rest and relax and be around the things that make us feel safe, right? But then you have to confront why does that make you feel safe? Like what is the under you know, so it it's so true. And I think it it's just like it's like going, but here's the thing. You do need someone with you that's supportive of you emotionally. Like when that happened with me, Norm just sat there with me and he's like, It's okay. I love you. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. it was like almost like being at a retreat when you're really confronting some deeper stuff, having you're that like person doing hold ayahuasca that space. or something. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. I've never done that. <laughs> but yeah, you so I think, you know, I is she is really on to something about looking at the deeper meaning and surrounding yourself with things that spark joy. I mean, it's exactly what we were talking about earlier with yep. when I walk into a space or with a career perspective of trying to spark joy in people. And yep. if you start, so we've fallen off the wagon. We moved and we are off the wagon. And I went into my closet and I mean, it literally was like, oh, because we need to do the process again. It's just like anything with like yeah. mental health with that stuff. It's a, it's an ongoing thing. Ongoing, yeah. You don't do it once and you're, you're healed. Yeah. You have to keep it up. And we did for a long time. And then we, you make small concessions and then you make bigger concessions. And all of a sudden I look in my closet and there's an Apple keyboard from 2004 and I don't, it's still in the box. Oh, wow. Like, why do I have that? How did it even make it through the last tidy? I don't even think it works with my 2019 technology, <laughs> right? So you you will have to redo it, right? It's something that's that's consistent in life. You have to constantly be focused on it. Not focused on it, but it'll come back. That's it's, for it's, sure. Uh, we're, we're, like, we're like flowers. They need, yeah. We need to be tended to. It's 100% Always. true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when is the next tidy enough? So happen? we have to set our date. We talked about it the other day when I kind of had my little meltdown about it. And so, but the thing is, you we have to have the kids leave, at least mm. for part of it. Like I know you helped friends yesterday when they needed to go through something because our, um, our daughter is very cutthroat. She doesn't care. She'll get rid of anything. But our son will attach meaning to a piece of lint. Like he has not thrown away the <laughs> ribbon that was tied to the Hershey bars you gave him for his birthday because it's the ribbon that was you gave him yeah so he's yeah. super tender-hearted and so right. he is he is catastrophic for being able to go through <laughs> it in any meaningful way so we have to set aside we it probably won't take us as long this time because we already did a big one before yeah. so maybe two to three days so it's coming up stay yeah. tuned cool yes i'm excited yes i'm excited yeah well good um let's let's talk about i guess i want to explore like what is on the horizon for you? Good question. So you've had this life as a doula. Mm -hmm. You're you're really a life doula to 100%. a lot of people. Like yeah. you're really so Aww. good at supporting humans yeah. uh, in all facets of life. What are, like I know you've talked about some of your aspirations. Talk a little bit about what you kind of want to do now. That's the million dollar question, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> known and I think you know it's. I am very quick to assign like a career or job or finances to an mm. to my energy. And for some reason right now, that's just not coming up. So I'm supporting, um, I support small businesses, which is amazing in kind of figuring out their why, putting organization, organizational structure around and like financial planning and goals because they don't, like money is to me is a made up thing. It's just energy. 
it's just, we've just made it up. Humans, it's not really, doesn't exist. <laughs> One thing isn't more valuable than another. We just say that it is. Right. Um, and kind of helping people to see how that energy can work for them and grow their business in like a heart-centered joy way that serves their end user in in the best way possible. And it does miraculous things um, for their business. So I've been doing a little bit of that. But in terms of like what that looks like for me next, that direction has yet to come up. I'm trying to focus on what is fun. I'm still at the birth center a couple days a week. I love that. Um, but I don't know. I think a lot of big shifts and changes are coming. Um, my husband is actually, you know, out of out of his um, depression and and his amazing work that he's done came this job that he's wanted for 20 years. And so he's now getting to be creative all the time. That also has meant that he is gone um, and his schedule is more unpredictable. So it kind of took me away from doing births, which in one side of my life has been a really sad thing. And then on the other side, it's been a relief to not have to be on call um, because that's really personally really hard that at any moment, anyone can call you 24 seven. Yeah. It's so taxing. Yeah, yeah, it's like it is. It's very, um, and you don't know whether you'll be gone for um, six hours or 56 hours. And um, anyway, and so there's been gifts in that, but I, I don't know. I feel like whatever is next is next. And I really am holding that space for myself to really let it come up and come through and come in. And I know whatever it is will be amazing. It could be a million different things. That's what's so exciting. People yeah, are like, aren't exciting. you scared? I'm like, no, because I feel like, why would I be afraid? I could go get a job anytime I want to. Like if I needed to. Yeah. I could go find a job working for anybody. But I really want to um, hold that space for the things that I feel really lit up and passionate about and that could really use my unique perspective. Like that's exciting to me. Nice. Yeah. That's very exciting. So that's what's next. Cool. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's talk about Empathy Heroes. Yes. So I will go first. Okay. This is the part of the show, listeners, where we, each of the guests and I, we list an empathy hero. This is someone in our lives, uh, living or dead, uh, someone we know personally, even characters from movies or books, someone that is just very empathetic. And I am going to uh, name John Muir as my empathy hero this week. Uh, John Muir, uh, as some of you know, is the sort of the father of the national parks and uh, just a naturalist nature man and i uh he's uh, he was an awesome dude uh and i'm just gonna list uh read a quote here he said he says quote when when one tugs at a single thing in nature he finds it attached to the rest of the world end quote uh i love that it's beautiful and it's so like it gets to this thing that that I am trying to achieve with this show is like, we're all connected. It's all of us in this thing together. There's no infighting. There's no competition. We're all together in this emotionally. And, and, and we, and to, to, to achieve that in the best possible way, we need to be vulnerable. We need to be open with our hearts. We need to lead with our hearts. We need to abandon the artifice and let go and, and embrace gratitude and, love you know and so um yeah i just love that quote from john muir it's beautiful we have um friends who have a nephew named muir oh nice yeah that's lovely and i mean that's what's so cool about nature though right no like nature is like a toddler like it is who it is it's what it wants to be in that moment it's showing you how it's feeling like 
It's been- why it's so like when you're in it, it's so for me, it's so grounding and mm-hmm. it so brings me back to my childhood, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it makes me think, I mean, obviously makes me think of being a hobbit and like on an adventure in Lord of the Rings <laughs> as well, but like, yeah. it's so grounding and centering for me. Yeah. It is. It's interesting too. living in the Canyon. We've had fires and floods and people ask me like, Oh gosh, are you regretting moving there? And I'm like, not for one nope. second. Like I feel so connected to the earth and certainly that comes with stress some days, but, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it because not it's also all. like, do you know the majesty of water? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, do yeah. you know how powerful a pebble is in a yeah. Creek? And like, like it, it really makes your, it makes you lose all of the stuff that's external and really focus on the things that are, um, right in front of us. Well, it I mean, challenges also the ego yeah. and reminds us that we aren't in control. It's very humbling. Uh, there you go. We need more humbling experiences there you and, go. and nature can do that. Move to us. the canyon, yeah. everyone. It's very inspiring. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Come so, make moonshine with us. Yes. Ooh, that's a moonshine. <laughs> yeah. In your rad bathtub. That's right. Um, so my empathy heroes, well, you know what? I was going to say the kids because, but that's kind of on the nose. I'm going to go with you known. You are. I was afraid you'd say that. (laughs) God damn you, Becky. By the way, you are sitting in the appreciation chair. That's true. I am. Soak it up. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I really honor your courage to create a space where you allow people to show that inner part that is in our day and age challenging to show. And you make people feel so loved and so safe that it brings out that piece that is that humanness, but that is like uniquely them, that is like the miracle of them. And whether that is struggling, whether that is soaring, whether that is exhausted or energetic, like that is just to look at the humanness of it and to shed light on things that are innately human um, shows that you have like the most empathy of anybody I know. So you, Mr. Known, are my empathy hero. And I'm so grateful that my kids get to learn that from you. It is oh, so rad so nice. that they get to see that in a man being so heart-centered. It is a huge gift to our whole family. So thank you. Oh, thanks. That makes me happy. <laughs> no, I feel, I feel so, I mean, I honestly feel so lucky to be doing this because it's, it's something I needed. It is, a, it is a, uh, not an entirely, selfless pursuit you know i need Mm. it as well but like yeah i mean really the hope is that it inspires others to create these spaces as well in their communities right right Right. you know and like i said you know just name it and be there and it's amazing to be empath like it's an inspiring like why else would you want to be it's the best feeling ever ever yeah i agree yeah i agree (laughs) let's just go sit in a coffee shop and Look at people with empathy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I actually used to, um, back in my, before I met Jessica, I would sit, I mean, this is my, like, brooding, melancholy, um, living out of my car days, but I, I would go and sit in coffee shops and just stare at people and uh, just write stories, write up stories, like, you know, right. was, and I was always, I don't think it was always empathetic, but it was it was a way of connecting in a way that I could as an introvert. <laughs> right. And that's amazing. And yeah. that's what I do when I sit and just look at them and send them love. Yeah. 
I swear it's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Well, where, uh, where can people connect with you, Becky? Um, well, I have my doula website, which is nourish-baby.com. And then on Instagram, that's probably where, from like a social media perspective, I spend the most time. And it's just at nourishbaby. And cool. that's it. Well, those links, listeners, are in the show notes for this episode. Thank you, Becky, for being on Yumi Empathy and for being here in the canyon cave of empathy. Thank you, No. Thanks for having me. And thanks for moving to the canyon cave. Oh, well, (laughs) we wouldn't have made that happen if it weren't for you, probably. Yeah, you were integral in that process. It's the best. Yeah. Well, listeners, I'm here. You're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's Yumi Empathy. (laughs) 